And so let's read these verses, verses 1 through 6 together in Proverbs chapter 30. Again, God's word, infallible, inerrant. The words of Agur, the son of J.K., the pronouncement. The man declares to Ithael, to Ithael and to Ukal, I am certainly more stupid than any man, and I do not have the understanding of a man, nor have I learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you, and you will be proved a liar. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word endures forever. Lord, we do thank you for your word and ask now that you be pleased to bless it to our souls, to change us. Grant us faith, not simply a faith that we might nod acceptance to, but rather a faith that possesses us and changes us as we enter into union with Christ. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, the Proverbs, like the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Job are all reckoned to be what's called wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Wisdom literature is, in summary, uh, the literature of the Old Testament that's intended to, to, and not that the other not for this purpose, but the wisdom literature particularly intended to teach us how to live day-to-day life. That's the purpose of wisdom literature. Now, you can certainly see that in the, the Ecclesiastes, the Proverbs, Song of Songs, the Psalms. Job is, is an exemplary book in showing how to live in the midst of a, a horrible life situation. So it's not so much... Uh, wisdom literature in the sense of didactic teaching, but in the story of Job's life and how various people responded to the situation at hand, who was right and who was wrong. But the wisdom literature for the church and her daily living, and as we saw back to Luke from the teaching of Moses to the prophets, and it's usually understood by New Testament scholarship that, that that was simply encompassing the whole of the Old Testament from Moses' writings, the Torah, those early uh, Pentateuchal books through the prophetic literature. So then that would encompass everything in between, the historical books, the wisdom literature. So Jesus Jesus took them on a little survey of all the Bible as they were walking along that road and taught them about himself, showed them where he was 
in the scriptures. As some have called it, he, he, he showed them the scarlet thread that's weaved through the, all of the Old Testament. It's about him. Jesus used it to teach them about the kingdom of God. That was the foundation that the apostles uh, built upon, right? To teach people to preach as the book of Acts is replete from beginning to end. Preaching the kingdom of God. In fact, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's what Christ preached. That's what the apostles preached. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And so it is no different here in the Proverbs, uh, particularly in this passage, that we see Jesus so very clearly. Uh, he's often reckoned to be, in some form or fashion, the wisdom that's spoken of in the early Proverbs. And certainly here, the second person of the Godhead is without dispute because it's, it's very clear what is his name or his son's name. And that settles the point. So, something we see here in this passage too that I want you to pay attention to is that the same message that we've got right here in this passage is the message we preach. Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 1 that he was, he was not preaching anything different than what was preached in the Old Testament. Same message. And we see it here. First, it begins with sin. First vow, right? Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner? And if you're left undone in sin, you'll perish. That's, that's where Agur starts. And then he moves to, to the eternal ramifications of this. He says, you know, if you, if you, if you live in sin and die in sin... You've got to deal with someone who's outside of you, someone who's greater than you. And he goes through this litany of questions. Uh, he says, uh, do you have any knowledge of the Holy One? Who's ascended into heaven and descended? Who's gathered the wind in his fist? Who's wrapped the waters in his garment? Who's established all the ends of the earth? In other words, he's setting up, you sinners, there's someone bigger than you that you've got to deal with. But notice... Two, that Agur doesn't make this simply about his hearers. He, he puts himself right in there with them. Do you notice that? I am certainly more stupid than any man. He didn't say you are. He knew they were. But he didn't say that. I am. Nor have I learned wisdom. Nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. So same message, beginning with sin, moving to the eternal consequences of dealing with a holy, holy, holy God, and then the remedy for it. Who, who's the remedy? What's his name or his son's name? Surely you know. And then where do we, where do we know all this? Where do we get this information about sin and the Savior? Well, right there, every word of God is pure. Do not add to his words or he'll rebuke you and you'll be proved a liar. Same message. Isn't it amazing how simple this is when you read the Bible? You don't start trying to make up some false system 
of theology that pits one, one portion against another portion. You just let the organic wholeness of the scriptures, the one authorness of it, stand in its plain and simple form. So, same gospel message. It's about sin, it's about a savior, and it's about where do we find out about all this? It's in the Bible. So as we enter into this month that there'll be much clatter about Christmas, and it doesn't matter really if they're talking about a secular version of Christmas or a, or a, a sacred version of Christmas. The fact is, is it should cause us every time we hear the word Christmas or any mention of, of Christ this month to think about these three things. We have to deal with our sin. We have to deal with a God who is eternal and above us, outside of us. And we have to deal with what his word says about our hope is. And our hope is in the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ because it's in God and the Lord Jesus Christ that we have everlasting life, John 17, 3. So keep those things before you. Plus, it comes in handy if you get an opportunity. God opens the door for you to talk to others about the Savior, which, of course, he will do. So first, notice the human plight that is, is, is man is existing in existing in and experiencing it's one of great need he begins right there he says i'm certainly more stupid than any man stupid is a a reference to animals brute beast brute beast who who simply run on brute strength they are they're driven by their carnal delights food water and here Agur is, is confessing, you know, I, I live like animals. I, I said a couple of weeks ago in describing the feasting that we enjoyed among the yaks at our house is they, they dug in like a, like a bunch of pigs. Well, there, there were some offense taken to me calling our young adults pigs. Uh, the Holy Scripture writer can do it, but I shouldn't uh, because I, I was not meaning it in such a uh, serious manner as he was meaning it. It came across as idle words, and, and that, for that I'm sorry. I apologize to the, to the young folks. But uh, nevertheless, here, I'm certainly more stupid than any man putting himself in the category with animals. I do not have the understanding of a man there he acknowledges that man and beast are distinct. But he says, I, I, I don't even understand like other men understand. And I've not learned wisdom. Again, putting this in the context of its, its genre, that is wisdom literature. Nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. And that's exactly where everyone has to, has to come in order to be saved. You have to come to the point of realizing that you're in the same condition with the animal kingdom, soulish. Not that you are in that animal kingdom. The, the Imago Dei, the census divinitatis, was not obliterated by the fall. We didn't, we didn't go into some animal form at that point. 
But the way we live, Agur saying, the way he was living was more akin to the animal kingdom than to the righteous, holy kingdom of man under the Lord's kingship. Then he asked these questions. Who has ascended into heaven and descended into heaven? And here he's showing us that this is, this is not only a temporal problem that he has and everyone like him has, for his, there's none righteous, none who seek the Lord. All are born in that condition, David taught us, even from the conceived in his mother's womb that way. And then he goes into this litany, these questions, who's ascended into heaven and descended? That, of course, is a reference to Genesis 28:12 and the ladder, Jacob's ladder. You remember, children? Some of you even learned songs about that, the ascending and descending. Well, who's that about? Well, if you go over to John chapter 1 and John chapter 3, we learn that it was Jesus. He was the one that was ascending and descending. Who's gathered the wind in his fist? This reflects on what Job had to say in Job chapter 38. And it's talking about how that God controls everything. Who's gathered the wind in his fist? Who's, I mean, that's impossible, isn't it? You go out in the yard, the wind's blowing, and you just try to catch it. Well, you can't. You try to grab it, and it's, it's gone. But the Lord contains it all. He controls it all. He can do with it as he wills. He can turn it. You ever try to control? Everybody's sat around a bonfire. And you're sitting, it's blowing that way. So you sit here. Oh, it's perfect. It's nice and warm. And then suddenly, you're, you've lost control, as if you ever had control. And the wind shifts, and it's blowing in your face. And so it's no longer warm and enjoyable, it's misery. So you get and you move. You move your chair, you move to another log, whatever. You move over to this side. And then, have you ever noticed it seems to follow you? I'm seeing smiles. People have been there. They know. Yep, fire seems to follow me. The wind. You can't control it. God does. He grasps it, as it were, in his, in his fist. He's wrapped the waters in his garment. Who has established all the ends of the earth? In other words, he's just, he's giving us these old pictures of creation. He's saying, hey, God's the creator. And he's not just the creator. He's the sustainer of everything. Listen, sinner, as if it were not bad enough to be, to be acting like a brute beast, to be carnal in your desires, and to be dependent upon your own strength, you have to contend with a God like this. That's a pretty dim 
view of a sinner's situation, isn't it? Not much hope there for a sinner. But did you notice how it ends? What is his name? Or his son's name? And then you contrast, and by the way, we're, we're moving rapidly through this because it's a, it's, it's a rapid-moving passage. You just can't help it, but this moves right into, into the, the third point, and that is, after he's set up here, I don't know how I have the understanding of a man. And then he asks this question, what is his name? This one who, who, who ascended into heaven and descended, the one who gathered the wind, the one who wrapped the waters, the one who established all the ends of the earth. What is his name or his son's name? And then he says, in contrast to more stupid than any man, lacking understanding of a man, surely you know, he says. Now, you and I wouldn't have said that. Only an author writing under divine motion, breathing out the words of God would have said that because you've already said you don't know nothing. You can't understand anything. Then he asked this question about God and the Son, and he says, surely you know. How is that? Well, because we do. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Paul said that all of creation reveals him. What's the problem? The problem's not that God's hiding. The problem's not that God has, 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 has put up some sort of barrier. Sin's a barrier. God didn't put it there. But the problem in knowing God is what? Well, you say it's sin. It's our fallen nature. Yeah, but what does that produce in relation to God? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 1, it was all clear that God made all things. Even his, his attributes, his power are revealed in creation. But men chose to suppress the truth. No, I'm not going to believe that. They exchanged what they knew of God for a lie. We see this going on in the creation, in the realm of creation of origins, origins don't we? No, can't believe that God could ex nihilo create in the space of six days. But I could believe that things could, could evolve and morph from one stage to another stage, even though you've never seen it. But see, that's naturalism. We're far more, we tend far more ready to believe the natural, what we can see and touch and feel, than the supernatural. And the supernatural's contrasted right here. 
a God who ascended from heaven and descended, who gathered the wind in his fist, who wrapped the waters in his garment, who established all the ends of the earth. And by the way, who is that? Well, surely you know his name. So it's obvious from that the name is God. And by implication of what goes on to be said, it's God the Father. Surely you know his name, and certainly they did. I am that I am. He had revealed himself, but he'd revealed himself in other names as well. The healer, the provider. The Almighty. And as I said already, the the great I am. So surely you know his name. But then he comes and he surprises us, doesn't he? Doesn't that verse surprise you? Now... Most of you are outstanding biblical scholars, so no, it didn't surprise you at all. But for those who aren't, that verse is a bit shocking. Particularly for people who, who don't think that the Old Testament saints knew much about a triune God. And yet from the very beginning... God said, let us make man in our image. Us screams at you to ask the question, who's us? Well, we already have revealed in the early verses of chapter 1 of Genesis, the spirit. So the spirit had to be one of us. And on and on it it goes. As God reveals himself and his son, even as late, even as late as Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 8, whom shall I send and who will go for us? This verse, what is his name or his son's name? should make your thoughts run to the New Testament. When Jesus in the great high priestly prayer said this is eternal life that you believe in God the Father and in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therein is eternal life. You say, well, surely you know. How how would they know? How would anyone know? Well, the next verse tells you. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. You notice how, how how he couples the word of God and taking refuge in God? Don't miss that. 
every word of God is pure. And immediately he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And then back, do not add to his words or he'll rebuke you and you'll be proved a liar. Who's our shield and refuge? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is. God is our rock and our refuge. But he tells us here that the word is too. How can that be? Well, it's simple. That's where we know who God is. What's the scriptures? Well, the scriptures principally teach us, children, your catechism, teach us what we're to believe about God and what he requires of us, who he is and what he requires. The word reveals God. So in that sense, we, we, we can't have a shield if it's not the shield that the word of God provides for us. You and I, you adults, children, young folks, your parents, if you don't, they know plenty of people who have erected a shield, erected a, a hope in their life that's not that which is contained in the word of God. It's friends. It's a successful career. It's a growing and bulging 401k. Maybe family. None of the, see, none of those things are wrong in themselves, right? Is it wrong to make money? No. Is it wrong to have a career? No, actually, the man who doesn't work doesn't eat, the Bible says. So you need, you need that. Is it wrong to save your money? Nope, the Bible's big on that. But if those things are your hope, if they're the shield that you're setting up to protect yourself against old age, against death, against whatever, then you've, you've gone to a different source than the Word of God. Because the Word says, and by the way, notice every Word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. It's interesting, too, the parallel there between Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield. You're like, boy, he just, he seems, he just skipped out of word to, he, he personified. He's talking about God, obviously. Yeah. The writer of Hebrews does that. After he says that the word of God cuts deep, dividing, even even the bone and the marrow from the bone. And, and then he goes to the next verse and he says, he does the very same thing that the Proverbs writer does. Because you see, the word of God and the one who spoke it are inseparable. It's the reason Timothy says that the, the, 
the word of God is God-breathed. His breath, it's continued. It's a continuous out-breathing. That's the reason the word is living is because it's God's word being breathed out and God never stops breathing it. It's always alive and powerful in our lives today. So Job is spoken, pointed to in verse 4. And Job knew this son. So it shouldn't shock you that I'm going to go to Job. Chapter 19, verse 25, when Job expresses this very thing, that I know that my Savior, I'm going to read it to you. He's going to stand on this earth. He's going to stand on this earth. He's going to stand on this earth in his flesh. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I will see God. Whom I on my part shall behold for myself. And whom my eyes will see and not another, my heart faints within me. I know my Redeemer lives and I will see him. He'll take his stand on the earth. In my flesh, I'll see him. That's remarkable. What the Old Testament, and remember, Job is reckoned to be uh, most likely the earliest book of the Old Testament. Now, you'd expected that kind of statement from Isaiah late in redemptive unfolding. But we're, we're way early here. And yet Job had this understanding that somehow God was going to take on flesh that the Son would inhabit this earth. So, God with us and His Son who is God with us. He's the one that can save us. He's our biggest problem, as R.C. Sproul liked to say. When people say, what do I need to be saved from? His answer was God. That's exactly it. We're hostile. We're alienated. God is our enemy. We need to be saved from the one who can grip the air, the winds with his fist, the one who can contain all the waters. We need to be saved from a God like that who made all things in six days and it was all good. A God who is holy, holy, holy. But the good news is he saves us from himself and for himself. That's the gospel. He saves us from his wrath. And he saves us for his worship. And for his eternal enjoyment.
That's good news. So let me ask you, who, 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 who is the one that did all this and can do all this and still does all this? Because remember, we're told in Colossians that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who made all things and now, even now, holds all things together. Who can do this? Surely you know his name. And surely you know the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So the question is, do you? There's no reason for you not to. You've heard it all night tonight. You heard it all morning this morning. The question is, ultimately, isn't it, do you believe the pure word of God? And you find your shield in him and in his son. Father, that's our prayer that no one would leave this place tonight. As Agur describes himself, more stupid than any man, not having the understanding of a man, not having learned wisdom, not having the knowledge of the Holy One, but rather that they would leave this place knowing the Holy One knowing his name and his son's name and resting in the marvelous Savior who is Jesus Christ. May your spirit work that in us all more and more and more tonight and tomorrow and the days to come. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.